This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, and I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And I'm also the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. Co host today, Eugene Merman. Hello. Eugene, love having you. Great to be here. Yeah. How do, how's your brain so quick when you, you get a joke so quick? I never understood that. You have a joke ready-made, and I just invented something to tell you, and it fits it perfectly in a nanosecond. It's the science of comedy. Oh, <laughs> all right. We'll do a whole show on that one day. Uh, today we're featuring my interview with Leilani Munter. She's a professional race car driver and environmental activist, and we'll be juxtaposing those two seemingly in, incongruous concepts to find out if and when driving a, way, a race car might actually help to make the world go more green, if you can imagine that. I can if it's a car that uses alternative energy. Okay. <laughs> or very efficient. So, so a little bit about Leilani. She's, she's a little weird, okay? Maybe the weirdest race car driver ever. Uh-huh. Uh, or at least certainly the weirdest one I know of. She part robot? Okay, no, she, she's kind of a, she's a paradox rolled up into a single person, okay? So first of all, the list of female professional race car drivers is short, all right? It's definitely a male-dominated sport. Mm-hmm. Guys love their cars. Uh, she, she was a biology major, a vegan. She refuses to accept sponsorships from any company or cause that is not environmentally responsible. Now you've seen race cars, that they're, they're, they're spattered with all manner of corporate sponsorship. Yeah. Oil companies, you know, it's just, there's no end of it. And so, and she also adopts one acre of rainforest for every race she runs. 
and she uses this 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 platform, this racing platform, to to stimulate awareness, mm-hmm. public awareness. Certainly, not only in the NASCAR and 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 broader racing community, but in the general public. And she made a documentary recently called Ra- "Racing Extinction," and it came out in December 2015. Mm-hmm. And so I. I know a little bit about science and its role in the environment, but I always want to bring someone who knows more. That's yeah. always fun. Cause then Thanks I... for having me. <laughs> yes, Eugene. <laughs> so uh, to help us sort of, uh, pick apart some of this sort of science behind environmental issues, uh, we bring in a scientific guest from all the way across the country coming to us via Skype. Thanks for joining us, Don. Don. And, and, and I pronounce your last name Don Anair. Is that correct? That's right. Excellent. Thanks for being on Star Talk. And and you are what I have here, your research and deputy director of the Clean Vehicles Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. So uh, so you run a car wash, I see. <laughs> Dude, was that a good joke? That was a good joke. That was a very good joke. <laughs> you know that it's a good joke when you point at a comedian and say, is that a good joke? <laughs> That's the hallmark of it. So who knew that your position even exists? So could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. The Union of Concerned Scientists is a national nonprofit. Uh, we put rigorous science to work for a healthier planet and a safer world. What that means is we put scientific analysis first when we're thinking about smart government policies to address issues like climate change, oil use. Uh, increasing renewable energy and and those types of things. Um, so in the clean vehicles program, I work on issues around electric vehicles, making uh, gasoline and diesel vehicles more efficient, uh, expanding the use and development of low carbon alternative fuels. And, and we are at, in the clean vehicles program at UCS, we developed a practical plan to cut oil use in half over the next 20 years. So we're working hard to implement that plan uh, today. So to cut oil use in half, since the primary use of oil in the world is not heating oil, it's not for, not even for electricity, it's for transportation, isn't that correct? It's not even That's for baking. Not, not or baking. even <laughs> deep frying. Deep frying chicken. So, so it's a transportation issue, and that's why vehicles are so important, I'm, I'm, I'm surmising here, is that correct? That's right. About two-thirds of our oil use in the U.S. is in the transportation sector, and so that's from Passenger cars, heavy-duty trucks uh, are the biggest users of uh, oil in the U.S. So, uh, my, uh, from my notes here, it says you're a member of Cornell's Formula Society of Automotive Engineers vehicle team. Is that right? Wh- like, what is that? Is this Cornell, right. Cornell University? That is Cornell University. Okay, cool. Uh, and uh, a number of other universities have similar teams, and basically it's a collegiate competition which requires a group of students to manufacture a race car from the ground up essentially starting with nothing, um, building the frame, uh, installing the engine, tuning it, operating it, building the fuel system. So what's good about a competition is that you get to to ex- exploit the sum of creativity far greater than what just hiring a single team to solve that one problem. Because you get to see how creative uh, many, many different teams can be and then compete that creativity, really. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and Dozens of teams compete in this competition, uh, and, and it's an international competition. Uh, when I was doing this um, in the late 90s, it was uh, in, in Michigan. We raced around the parking lot in the Pontiac Dome in our open-wheeled race cars. It was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> and so uh, what was the award-winning car that you designed? What, what, what did it run on, and what was fundamentally different about it? 
Yeah, so uh, the competition kind of covers a lot of different uh, areas, but obviously having a fast car and one that handles well is is key. And one of the key uh, actually, if if you it's if instead you had just race tracks that were straight, yeah, handling wouldn't matter, right? I guess. Maybe if the race was just in Nebraska, this wouldn't be <laughs> such a big deal. <laughs> but that's right. Um, so yeah, one of the the key pieces here around alternative fuels was we were running the vehicle on methanol, which is an alcohol-based fuel, and it was of interest in the 80s and 90s as an alternative to gasoline. And so there were additional points um, for getting your vehicle to run on, on methanol. So I worked on some of that. It was an interesting challenge. We, you know, I was designing some of the fuel system for the vehicle and trying to find fuel injectors, for example, that were compatible mm. with methanol, which is a corrosive and toxic because uh, they're not on the shelf, you have to create it from scratch. That's could right. it run? How cl- could it run on whiskey? Like how similar? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, they, they, didn't, they didn't let us try that. So. Oh, no, no, that's okay. too bad. Well, now that you're your own person, you can try it yourself. <laughs> that's true. And that's tell true. me, tell me about the impact of diesel fuel on the environment relative to other fuels. I don't think the public knows much about that, but in the in in your world, it's a very well known fact. The diesel is sort of singularly more polluting than other fuels. Isn't that correct? That's that's right. And it's less about the fuel and more about the how it's used in the combustion of the engine. So emissions from diesel uh, vehicles have typically had higher nitrogen oxide emissions, emissions of um, which contribute to ozone or smog, which obviously has significant health impacts from respiratory disease, heart, heart and lung disease, um, exacerbating asthma attacks and, and those things. And diesel engines have a much higher rate of uh, nitrogen oxide emissions as well as particulate matter, which is also a significant health risk. And so over the years, there's been a focus on trying to clean these up. And typically this has been a problem more in the heavy duty truck sector where diesel engines are more prominent. Right, right, right. And they do all the traveling. I mean, they're the ones that do thousands of miles. That's how we get our bananas. Right, exactly. That's right. Destroying the earth. In fact, interestingly, trucks themselves, they're responsible for about 25% of the fuel used on our roads and only about 7% of the vehicles. So they are a big contribution. So, uh, again, we're, we're featuring my interview with, uh, I, I, would, I have to say her name a hundred times just to make sure I get it right, uh, Leilani Munter. Leilani Munter. And she's, she's, a, she's a walking paradox. And I just want to find out what, how can you race cars and at the same time, be an advocate for the environment. And uh, I just let's just see let's see where she takes us. Check it out. So you're okay. You're madam environmentalist. I get that. But do you take this to heart? Do you live environmentally? I do. I have solar panels on my roof. I'm currently producing more solar power than I'm using for my house and my electric car. I have a vegetable garden. I'm vegan. I compost my food scraps, and I've got a 550-gallon rainwater collection tank in my backyard. So you also race cars, which is the least green thing anybody can imagine doing. Yeah. Sometimes solutions are not always through the path that have the the rose garden, the the flower bed. Sometimes the path is messy, and then the result may even be stronger. Okay, so... There are pathways that are not always what you think they should be, yet they could be accomplishing something greater than whatever it is you thought couldn't happen. Like Uh, an environmentalist driving race cars. 
for example. (laughs) (laughs) Because if I didn't drive that race car... The visibility of your cause would have... None of the race fans would listen to me. Could you imagine if I was just a biology graduate showing up at the NASCAR race trying to get them to go vegan and put solar panels on their roof and buy an electric car? So you drive 150 miles at 7 miles an hour Mm -hmm. to a cause that ultimately will be will pay dividends far beyond anything that could have happened otherwise. Just he saying. gets it. He gets me. <laughs> you understand me. Yeah, I'll get attacked for that, you know, the 35 gallons that I burned during mm-hmm. the race because my gallons being burned are on TV. I can actually turn on Fox Sports and watch Leilani burning fossil fuels like how can she be an environmentalist when she's like i can see her burning fossil fuels on tv but they're not considering like outside of that i the last time i went to a gas station september 2013 essentially my car i try and use it to raise awareness around environmental issues the most recent car that i was running was actually it was called the energy freedom car and we were trying to highlight the battle that's taking place between utilities and people like me who want to put solar up on their rooftops so like the last car that i ran was actually a private donor who was a woman that just understood that the nascar crowd you know there's 75 million nascar fans in the u.s and she wanted them to understand that. would be a fourth was, of the country. Yeah. 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 We've got about a little more than 300 million people, 75 million fans. Yeah. That's, that, that's almost everybody. I mean, if, yeah. if, I mean, I don't know anything other than football that has that kind of sort of support to it. It's a really big sport. And following. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's typically not being, a, a lot of environmentalists are not reaching out to NASCAR fans. Yeah, let me ask you something. Does Something happened. Was it Congress or the the courts that knocked down a plan by Obama to reduce carbon emissions? What what was? Could you catch us up on that? Uh, sure. Just um, recently, the Supreme Court put on hold uh, implementation of the Clean Power Plan, which is a plan to reduce carbon emissions from power plants across the U.S. Why did they do that? It's the courts. Why did they uh, do that? The courts did that. Uh, there's been uh, lawsuits against the, the plan, and there are some initial deadlines that are coming up pretty soon. And so uh, they didn't throw out the plan, but they did put on hold uh, some of the implementation dates uh, so that there was time to uh, address the legal issues uh, that are being raised. So, so was anything deemed unconstitutional or was yeah. just deemed too quick? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I mean, is it a constitutional thing? No, at this point, there's no decision on the merits of the actual Plan. It's just a, okay. a, a basically a holding. They're not um, going forward with implementing it until they make a decision. So it's, it's not a political thing. I mean, because if if Leilani was way even more uh, effective than she is, could the court have even found itself in this situation to say no? Um, I didn't quite get that. Yeah, uh, yeah, neither did I. <laughs> so let's try it again. Well said. I almost <laughs> answered it. You know, okay, if Congress resists some movement, you can say, okay, they believe they're representing an electorate and they're carrying an opinion into law and policy. Mm-hmm. But the Supreme Court has the Constitution. Yeah. And so is there something that could have happened before that for the Supreme Court to have said, yeah, this is a good idea, let's pursue it, and we're not going to block it? Um. Well, I, you know, I guess they haven't said they're going to block the, the plan. I think, you know, obviously, there's a lot of legal steps. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to all the details on this. But, 
you know, I think that the main issue here is that um, that despite some of the challenges uh, at the federal level for these policies, there's obviously states who don't want to follow these rules and they're going to they're going to file lawsuits. But on the flip side, there's dozens of states that are actually moving forward with clean energy now. Um, okay. so, I, I think that's the important piece. So we can shame some states into acting because they might be laggards compared with other regions of the country. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, you know, the state leadership is really critical uh, and has been in moving clean energy forward, uh, deploying renewable energy like solar and wind power. Um, and on the flip side, we've had some really significant successes in federal policy moving towards more efficient vehicles and saving oil. It, it actually, oil is the largest fossil fuel climate uh, source of emissions in the U.S., bigger than coal and natural gas. Mm. And so, uh, the, the fact that we're making some significant progress on the oil side of things is also good news. And those those uh, standards are going forward. Essentially, what's in place now would roughly double the fuel economy of new vehicles by 2025 compared to 2010. Well, that's something to look forward to. And I got here, I'm looking at sort of some data on NASCAR. Of course, it's the number one spectator sport in America. And the, if, you, if you add up the real estate on the skin of a car, it's huge. And the camera stays on them as they go around for the entire duration yeah. of the race. So it's, it's very high sort of uh, marketing real estate value, if you want to even think about it that way. It says here it's a $43 billion a year industry. And here's Leilani, who's, that's her megaphone. That's her landscape. And I wanted to know by what rules she governs herself as she enters this contest. Let's check it out. I have some rules. I do not work with any companies that work with fossil fuels. So mm -hmm. no oil, no coal, no natural gas. I don't work with any companies. Work that with you mean get sponsored by? Yeah, I will okay. not. I will not. Because you are putting gas in your car. I ha so yeah, I have to At some point, like, Sunoco is putting gas in your car. That's something I can't do anything about. But mm -hmm. they are not a sponsor of mine. So they mm -hmm. are, I have to run their fuel in order to be in the race because they're trying to even the field out. That's the goal of NASCAR stock car racing, right? You're trying to make everybody run. So it's just the driver. It's supposed to be, which yeah. is, you know, obviously if you have more money and more sponsorship, you can afford to have you know, engineers that are going to find ways to make your car faster. And that's the goal. So it's, a, it's you know, it's still not completely even, but we all do have to run the same fuel. So what are your criteria to be sponsored? What is it? What's your rule book? What is it? So so I have a rule book of people I won't work with, Who's that? but it's, it's a pretty big <laughs> list of people I won't work with. <laughs> I don't work with any fossil fuel companies. So no oil, no coal, no natural gas, no companies that test on animals, no companies that produce meat or dairy products or use leather or fur. So for the NASCAR marketing groups, when I'm talking to them and I give them this list, they're kind of like, well, you've just eliminated, you know, 95%. I, I don't know who's clients. left, Legos? I mean, what's left in this? <laughs> who's? Yeah, so most of my so cars... So do you have blank have areas carried, on your cars that waiting for somebody else to come up? Um, well, usually when I run the car, I get enough sponsorship that it's one primary sponsor. So like when I ran my Perry Gold Solar Car, it was their logo on the hood, on the quarter Par panels. Perry Gold. 
prairie gold solar and we actually and we charged all of my pit box we used a portable um, solar device that was developed for the military actually and I powered my entire pit box and all of my um, all of the equipment that my guys are using the air guns we didn't have a generator we used solar so normally the guys are using diesel generators and they're very loud so the interesting thing that happened when we started using solar in our pit is that other race teams were coming over and were like oh it's so quiet in your pit. I can talk to my crew without screaming over the generator. So now I think there's actually some teams that are looking into getting solar, not based on like my reasons. I'm doing it because I don't want to use any fuel, right? But they're going to do it because there's actually an advantage to having it be quieter in the pit. Better who, communication. Who would have thought? Right? See, there's all kinds of benefits to going green that doesn't necessarily have to do with saving the planet. Might have to do with winning a race instead. Uh, let me ask you, Don, what would NASCAR be if cars were silent? Actually, interestingly, there is a uh, Formula E racing series now, all electric uh, Formula race cars. Whoa. So it would be quiet. <laughs> but still you could quiet. artificially make a sound. Yeah, just... just <laughs> with speakers and, yeah. It's, it's like your, your smartphone artificially making the... Tapping sound. No, no, the click of, yeah. a, of a shutter. The yeah, shutter. or the right. tapping of a keyboard. Yeah. So in, in, in an electric car, the, uh, obviously they're not refueling. Uh, they have to swap out the batteries, I guess. So that would be the test, such as swapping out wheels. You'd be swapping out the batteries. Yeah, or they have two. They have two cars to do the race, so they switch. They switch vehicles. But um, yeah, in this typical uh, race, they've got they go about an hour of driving uh, of, with two two different cars. Okay. Well, when Star Talk returns, we're going to feature more of my interview with race car driver Leilani Munter on Star Talk. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. 
Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. PXG.com slash StarTalk, code StarTalk. Welcome back to StarTalk. I'm with co-host Eugene Merman and our guest, Don Anair. This, Don, you, just, you know stuff that most people don't know about vehicles, about energy, about energy conservation, about alternative sources of energy, and... Uh, you are you are working in a field that's going to have to change if we're going to bring civilization uh, into existence. Into ex- continued existence. <laughs> continued existence. And of course, we're featuring my interview with race car driver Leilani Munter. She she drives professionally, and she's an environmental activist. And we reviewed in the last segment just how big NASCAR is. Remind me what NASCAR stands for. The National. Uh, ah, this. You know. <laughs> okay. I was like, you're asking an environmentalist. <laughs> <laughs> no, so National Stock Car Racing. Racing is probably in there. Yeah. So I think it's uh, Moonshine <laughs> no. is maybe in there. I've That's how it began as a Moonshine. Wait, what's that you say? I've always just known it as NASCAR. NASCAR. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I thought I was the first to determine this, but of course, clearly I wasn't. That race car is its own an- anagram. Oh. You didn't Where? know that? No. No, you just I sp- thought it was. Oh. Well, not I mean anagram. I mean, what do you call it when it's you, sp- you just say? Oh, 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 palindrome. palindrome. Excuse me. Sorry. Excuse me. I was like, what does race car stand for if it isn't <laughs> race car, or that you can take the letters and spell Washington or something? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so my my crack team of researchers. Uh, so the national uh, national association for stock car auto racing. There you go. Great. Excellent. Sounds fair. Now we're on the same page. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now that us and everyone <laughs> in it know what it is. Um, so, yeah, race car spell backwards spells race car. Yeah. Just FYI. And, why, why they're so popular. <laughs> and so uh, in my interview with Leilani, we chatted briefly about a race that she was in that she didn't win, and that was better for her than having w- had she won the race. No. I don't know what that meant. Let's find out what she's talking about. 
the moments that I had with my car. One of the, the, my favorite race cars that I raced was the Cove car. So the Cove is a fantastic documentary that won the Academy Award in 2009. It's about the dolphin slaughter in Japan. And I became a passionate... That was very warmly received at the Academy Awards. I mean, Did you see it? Yes, yes. It? We have, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so the Cove car. I was driving this for the dolphins. It was my first time that I ever did crowdfunding to get enough money to go run a car. So the Cove highlights the connection between the dolphin slaughter in Taiji and purchasing tickets to dolphin shows. So I wanted to get this in front of the NASCAR crowd, especially the NASCAR crowd at Daytona that's only an hour away from SeaWorld Orlando. So I had been to Taiji, I'd seen thousands of dolphins getting slaughtered, and I felt like, you know, I was on the track representing their fight. And so I said, I, I you know, need you to help me get this car on TV so that people can find out about what's happening. And then my tire blew. And when my tire blew, you know, I was coming out of turn two, I spun around, I kept it off the wall. So I was able to, you know, not wreck the car, but my tire exploded, my, my left rear tire. And so the cameras cut to my car. And, and you did this without hitting another car? I didn't hit anybody and I kept it off the wall. Mm -hmm. But I mean, essentially my race was ruined. But the commentator, the television commentator, when they flashed to my car and they were showing my tire that had exploded, what did he do but talk about the movie The Cove and what it was about and how it was about dolphin captivity. And so my wish kind of came true that I was getting their issue in front of millions of people on TV, but it wasn't, I've learned that I have to be more specific about I want you to get me on TV by helping me win the race. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you either want to win okay. or be running up because front the dolphins, or you want to wreck. The dolphins didn't know. They didn't know. I wasn't specific. Yeah, the dolphins got you on TV, <laughs> but it wasn't by the how you wanted. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't ever, of course, if you're in a wreck, all the cameras are on you. That's a whole other occasion. That's to a be known great of. way to promote something. <laughs> what if all the cars start just crashing? Nobody's winning, but they're all getting their issues out there. They're getting paid. They, they, yeah. they, they're getting their payday. Uh, do you guys in your community, do you follow race car driving as a sport or you just analyze it to see how to make it different? Um, I, you know, I think to some extent the race car industry has actually led to innovations in uh, automobile technology, which are helping to improve efficiency and safety of these vehicles. So to some extent, we're, we're following that. Um, by the way, that's you know, been true from the beginning, as I understand it. There are advances in NASCAR, like like the tip Tiptronic uh, uh, gear changes, the I mean, the paddles, I, I, as I understood, those started with NASCAR uh, fuel injection. Uh, weren't weren't anti lock brakes NASCAR initially or not? Um, a lot of a lot of the innovation actually comes from uh, the Formula Racing Series rather than NASCAR. The, it, as we learned but, from the name of NASCAR, it's stock car racing, so they're stock vehicles. Oh, they're already yeah. vehicles that are there. Okay, gotcha. Of course. So they've been a little bit not as cutting edge as some of the other racing uh, series, but 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 the idea that racing cars itself, which so oops. many people people would say, oh, that's a, a, a Cro Magnon sport. Uh, basically, it has contributed. The trickle-down engineering from it has indeed influenced... It's the only time trickle-down works, <laughs> and it's through race cars. So, okay, if it's not NASCAR, it's, it's the, it's the open-wheel cars. Open-wheel race cars. But, yeah, but nonetheless, I, it's, I'm heartened to learn yeah. that there is this, this transfer of, of, of technology. The NASA of cars. There you go. That's what they'd like to be known as. And I always thought NASA should have a race car, and then yeah. they could just strap solid rocket boosters on the side. It, it would, would probably win. Win every race, of course. Yeah. So I, I asked Leilani, 
uh, what car you had? I had to ask. I had to ask, what car does she drive when she's not driving a race car? Okay, and turns out she drives a Tesla. Yeah, let's 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 what I would have guessed. <laughs> let's 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 check it out. I I actually drive a Tesla Model S. Tesla Model S. So it's a hundred percent electric and a hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Okay. They're 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 not cheap, but there mm-hmm. is a cheaper version coming out next year. The Model Ninety thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Model Three is supposed to be in the thirty-five thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And that should be unveiled in the spring sometime. Okay, so you you plug in your car. I plug in my car. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. I've done over thirty-one thousand miles, um, completely free of gasoline, and when I'm at my house, I'm actually charging, you know, off of the solar. So technically, I'm running off of free solar electrons. And then when I drive long distance road trips, I'm using the Tesla superchargers. So um, some of those are solar which are, powered. Which are dotted across the country. Yeah, they're, yeah. Mm-hmm. they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I've driven 5,000 mile road trips from actually from here in New York. I drove all the way to San Francisco. Um, and I kind of zigzagged, so it was a 5,000 mile road trip. And right, because that would be that's then twice as far. Because yeah, it's about 2,500 miles. Yeah. yeah. So, so the efficiency of an electric car is much higher than an internal combustion engine. Mm-hmm. So in an internal combustion engine, only about 17 to 21% of the fuel, of the energy that's contained in the fuel, actually makes it to the wheels to push the car forward. And you know it's where very the rest, inefficient. You know where the rest of the energy goes? It goes into heat. Yes. Very inefficient. So most of the inefficiencies of engines of any kind, machines of any kind, gets dumped as heat. And so you have hot exhaust coming out, the engine gets hot, everything gets hot, you have to put your heaters on if it's in the winter, it all goes there. And you've got greenhouse gases and you have, and you've coming got, out the back. And the little thing called greenhouse gases out the back. Right. Okay. So the electric car, even if I'm plugging into the grid, I am still far more efficient, even if I'm plugging in in West Virginia, where the majority of the grid is coming from coal, I'm still going to be reducing my greenhouse gas emissions because of the fact that an electric car is much more efficient, and also because of the fact that you use electricity to refine oil. So wheel to wheel, it's more efficient to drive an electric car, even if it's coming from fossil fuels. Now, the other thing you have to keep in mind is the electric grid is getting cleaner and cleaner as time goes on. We're starting to put up wind farms. Currently in the US, every two and a half minutes, a solar array is going up on a home or a business. So the grid is getting cleaner, and therefore people who have electric cars, even if they're plugging into the grid and don't have solar panels, their cars are getting cleaner and cleaner, something that will never happen with a gas car. Uh, let me ask you, Don, what is, what is, is there any downside to everybody having an electric car? Not that I can think of, you know, I think Leilani really nailed this in terms of the benefits of electric vehicles. You know, we've been looking at this question very closely around the emissions of electric cars and everybody's asking the question and a lot of people are saying, hey, what, you know, if I'm powering these things by on the electricity grid and there's coal on the grid, are they still good? Um, They're better. And the answer, the answer is yes. I mean, she, she's right. Um, pretty much across the country, no matter where you live, plugging in an electric car is going to be better than the average new gasoline vehicle. Okay, the last I looked at a Tesla, the mass of a Tesla Model S is primarily in its batteries. Right. And and it holds the, you know, the five passengers. It's not clear how that would scale to an 18-wheeler truck where most of a truck's mass is going to have to be the cargo that it wants to carry, not batteries that it's going to... Pineapples. It's all pineapples (laughs) and microwaves. (laughs) So isn't there a a, a point where electric transportation stops working because it doesn't scale? 
Well, so that, I mean, so that's a good point overall. There's no silver bullet to this challenge of transportation, and electric vehicles have a role to play. Um, but I'd also say you know, it's not just battery electric vehicles that that have opportunities. Um, you may have heard of fuel cell vehicles. They were something NASA used uh, early on in the space program, and actually, um, though there are some passenger vehicles on the market now in California, they're fueled by hydrogen. They uh, turn hydrogen into electricity to power an electric vehicle. And in fact, um, in my office at the Hayden Planetarium, I have a liter bottle of water, and on it it says exhaust. And the BMW gave it to me because they drove a car from Washington to New York using a fuel cell. And the exhaust is water. The exhaust is essentially water. You're recovering the energy from the hydrogen and oxygen when they recombine to become water. Because it's, it, it's, yeah. ex, it's highly exothermic, if you will. Yeah, so I interrupted. Sorry. So they gave you the bottle of water, not the car. Not the car. <laughs> That's what you, you need to flip that. Yeah, I got to work. I'm still working on it. Yeah. Can you get me a discount on a Tesla, Don? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I can't do that. But I, ah. But I'd be getting one, too. <laughs> All right. But, uh, I'll look into it for both of us, then. So tell, uh, so now, how about the batteries? There's a lot of talk about uh, caustic chemicals, uh, rare earth elements in the batteries that might be bad for the environment when you want to dispose them. So it, how does that enter the equation of how green a vehicle is? Yeah. So uh, we look specifically at what the global warming emissions are from creating the batteries. And, you know, like you said, uh, a lot of the mass of the Tesla vehicle is the batteries itself. So it actually does increase the manufacturing emissions of the vehicle compared to a gasoline vehicle. Um, but over the life of that Tesla, you're plugging into the grid instead of pumping uh, oil out of the ground and you are, you actually make up for those emissions pretty quickly and then save uh, on the emissions. In terms of the t battery toxicity, I think that is, a, that is an issue um, that can be addressed through proper disposal and recycling of the batteries. And so that's an area that continue, uh, you know, we're in the early stages of these vehicles in the market. Um, so we need to move forward with making sure that those batteries, after they're used in the vehicles, are actually 80 percent, uh, 70 or 80 percent still um, left in those batteries. And they can be used in a second use uh, for energy storage on the electricity grid, for example. And then after that, they could be recycled as well. Uh, so I don't have much experience in a Tesla because I like looking at them and thinking about them. But uh, one time I was getting an award in California mm -hmm. and uh, by the Planetary Society, and they picked me up at LAX in a Tesla. I mean, the the the, the car service. Mm -hmm. They go, say, hey, I'm in a Tesla, and that's kind of cool. And it was silent, as, as, as they all are. And then I realized I don't see any Teslas in Manhattan. There are no Tesla car services in Manhattan. And then I'm sitting there with the driver, and we figured out why. Because the backseat of any car that's picking me up as a car service is bigger than the backseat of a Tesla Model S. And if all I want is to get to where I'm going in comfort, uh, why squeeze into anything just because it's electric? I want the comfort. And so Tesla doesn't have currency in New York City the way it does on the East Coast, on, on the West Coast. And so uh, do you foresee sort of regional... It's the region to region. This is gonna. Ha we're gonna have to resolve this. We need a luxury point. Tesla a lux with luxurious back seats, <laughs> drinking their ex their fine exhaust. Yeah, their purified no, I mean, exhaust. I would just say, you know, it's an exciting time in the transportation sector. There's uh, over 20 electric vehicle models out there, so there's going to be more options coming. Okay, so what you're saying is we're so we're in such infancy. I shouldn't try to make any conclusions about anything at all that still can benefit from the creativity of engineers. Soon we'll folks like you to guide them to where they need to go. Absolutely. It's just the beginning.
Excellent. We'll, we'll we'll soon have roomy electric cars. Roomy electric cars. Thank you. So 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 Don and Air. Thanks for being on Star Talk. And I, I, it's good to know you do that. Can we find you again? Absolutely. Excellent. We, we will find you again. We'll, I'm, I'm going. Where are you? There you go. I'm going <laughs> to. We will find you again. Thanks for being on Star Talk. Great. Thank on you. I appreciate it. When we come back to Star Talk, more of my interview with race car driver Elani Munter. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome back to Star Talk. I'm with co-host Eugene Merman, and we've been featuring my interview with Leilani Mutter, professional race car driver and environmental activist, one of the oddest combinations of things I've ever known in my life. We've talked about, does it even make sense for a race car driver to double as an environmentalist? What does that even mean? We talked about the pros and cons of electric cars, the importance of renewable energies. And now, if if we can dig a little deeper into some of those issues that Leilani brought up, uh, we, we've got someone to help me out here. This, this woman is a professional in a topic 
I didn't even know there was a word for it. So we, we have on video call uh, Dr. Marcia Delonge. Hello. Hi. Yeah, and I have on my notes here, you are agroecologist. Forgive me yeah. for having no freaking idea what that is. So That's okay. <laughs> and, and you're also with the Union of Concerned Scientists, is that right? That's right, okay. yeah. So you're also an activist. All right. So she's just concerned. Or she's just deeply concerned and she's a scientist. I am I am a deeply concerned scientist. <laughs> okay. So what what is it what is an agroecologist? Well, let's let's break it down, right? Mm -hmm. So you have in there clearly ecologists. Yeah. So ecology I think more people know about. Ecology is the study of the interactions among organisms. So that's plants, animals, humans, and their environments, okay. right? And mm -hmm. so then we add agro, agroecologist. Was agro is referring to agriculture. So we're talking oh. about ecologists who are studying specifically uh, the kinds of systems that include farming and ranching. Whoa, okay, that, then you are, that's an important place to be because we, via our agriculture, are completely transforming this planet. That's right. We are we are doing a, a lot of we having a lot of impacts on our planet these days through our agriculture. Okay, so other than Lilani's activism, because you're going to watch this with us and her okay. races and this sort of thing, she released a documentary on the Discovery Channel directed by Louis Cihoyos. I think I pronounced that right. Who, and he also did The Cove. And in that film, Louis points out how much energy and fuel and CO two emissions are involved in agriculture, in farm animals, and all the rest of this. So, mm -hmm. so let's check out what she says about this. Hold on. So it's called Racing Extinction, mm -hmm. and it's about the sixth mass extinction of species. So there's been five major mass extinctions on the planet. Racing extinction. I see what you did there. Racing extinction. Okay. <laughs> I'm clever. I figured that out. Okay. Racing I didn't come up with that name, by the way. That was that was the Oceanic Preservation Society. But it's good. And it, Okay, so racing extinction. So where is it going to take us? So, yeah. So the, so the film touches on a pretty big issue. I'd say one of the biggest issues in the world, which is that we're driving species to extinction at a rate that's like a thousand times greater than the natural background rate. So we're losing species faster than we can even record there here. They, they actually estimate we could lose up to half the species on the planet by the end of the century. And so by our the end film, of the 21st century. Yes. Mm -hmm. So our, our film is highlighting first the endangered species trade, which is second only to the drug market. And it's in terms of its uh, lucrative, lucrative, lucrative. In, in terms of how much money is being exchanged. Mm -hmm. um, so we do a lot of undercover work. You'll see undercover cameras wait, wait. and us going into why, the markets. Why would anyone want an endangered species? What are they getting out of it? So in some cases, it's an issue of like wanting a trophy, right? Like Cecil the lion. It's a good example that got a lot of the uh, one attention. bow and arrowed by the dentist i guess the yeah, dentist okay. yeah our favorite dentist in minnesota it's also there's also a lot of myths around like treatments for cancer or that it's going to there's some sort of medicinal quality which there's no scientific proof and i know you're a, a data and a proof guy it's just kind of old white also tales. things for aphrodisiacs yep just anything that can somehow enhance or improve your physiology. Right. So we're, we expose a lot of these sort of black markets. And, but we also address, you know, 
the indirect hand of man. So us driving our cars around and burning fossil fuels, um, eating meat, for example. So more greenhouse gas emissions actually go into the atmosphere from raising animals for food than the entire transportation sector. So we address these issues of people that are not necessarily going out and trying to buy rhino horn, um, but their personal choices every day and the things that we're all just doing to live and how that is affecting the planet. Man, this is bumming me out. <laughs> so, so Marcia, how, I get it that we're just messing everything up, okay? We, we read about this every day. Do you have a solution? Because I'm not going to stop eating. Of course, you can't stop eating. Um, well, let's just think for a minute about, about what we're working with today. Today we have a, a system that strongly incentivizes a particular kind of one-size-fits-all industrial farming. And I think we all know that one-size-fits-all means doesn't fit anything quite right, right? So this is the system that is damaging our soil quality, is creating dead zones in our waterways, our favorite lakes and oceans, polluting the air, uh, promoting um, lots of troublesome weeds, and of course, contributing to climate change. So in addition to climate change, there's all these other problems, but this is, this is huge. Uh, when you dig in a little bit, what you see is that below the surface of what looks like a very you know, monotonous landscape in the U.S., um, soils, weather, climate, and other conditions that are underneath that actually vary quite a bit. And so we're not really considering that in the way that we uh, farm and ranch today. Um, we also have different plants and animals that give and take different things from our farms and ranches. And right now we're putting the same plants and the same animals in the same spot year after year. Okay, after so, so we're blunt instruments on the environment. That's what you're saying. What's that? We're blunt instruments on the environment. We are exactly. We are blunt instruments on the environment, but it doesn't have to be that way, right? So if we if we think a little bit more carefully about um, how, how we might be strategic, how we might design our our landscape so that uh, we are um, integrating our crops and livestock in a smarter way, so that we are uh, thinking about what kinds of plants can give back to the places where different ones took a different year. Okay, so you're talking about a more intelligent way of using nature rather than trying to get people to change their own behavior by making everyone vegan, for example. Yeah, is that, that sounds... Is that, just eat a little, maybe just a little chicken. We can have a little chicken. <laughs> Did you hear how big the problem though was? Because I think we need to be approaching it from all angles, right? So, so only a little basil and a little chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that, that, that piece of basil, that piece of chicken, of course, there's a lot of different ways that you can grow and produce those that they could be from your garden or they could be flown across the world. It could be a, a chicken produced in a factory farm or it could be a chicken that's produced by a, a farmer who's really a true steward of the land, who's, who's using it as an instrument for a healthy farm. So now you're, both, you're both smart about this, but she's doing it in, obviously in a very different way. Uh, I guess there's room for all of these tactics, I guess. Is, is that right? I mean, I, the answer to that, I guess, has to be yes. But what I'm asking you is, what in the, at, in the end, should more people do what Leilani is doing? Or do we need more people like you who are in, you know, behind the scenes in the trenches trying to make this work? We need everybody on board. You know, we need we need to have all of us when we have the option to develop relationship with our local farmers to buy food from places that we really know how it's created. Um, and then, you know, when we can't do that, when we can't have that local access, we really need to think about um, where our food is coming from, what our food companies. Uh, how, are, what, how are they promoting uh, farming practices in a bigger sense? And also, we need to think about 
uh, the leaders that we have in this country and, and, and everywhere, really, thinking about wanting to have leaders who are thinking about these issues, who are making decisions that shift the economic and policy setting that we have that can really help farmers to produce healthier foods, that can help people have access to those foods, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis. But, but a cow is going to produce methane out of both ends of its digestive tract no matter what it does. So, and methane is, of course, a greenhouse gas. So, at some point, it can't just be, let's be a little smarter. You're really going to have to change people's behavior, aren't you? Or grow cows underwater. (laughs) I haven't haven't read any scientific papers on growing cows underwater. (laughs) Well, maybe you should write one. (laughs) Okay. That'd be a very interesting, very interesting opportunity. Cows with snorkels. You just (laughs) saved the world. No, but it might be some. Rep- I mean, I, not to. Yeah. We're poking fun at his idea, but maybe a revolution idea such as that, or even just simply growing beef in a laboratory, synthesizing proteins. Right? Or do you, are, <laughs> you? That that's not the way you turn your head when you're excited about an idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, we like like I said earlier. You know, this is a really this is a really serious problem. There's no silver bullets here. We need to be approaching the problem with every angle that we can think of, but. You know, as an agroecologist, of course, I'm thinking about how the whole system works together, you know, how we get the most benefits out of not just our farms and ranches, but the the uh, communities that are around them, supporting farmers, supporting the, the parks and the forests that we all love. How can we get, how can we design landscapes that really work together to give us the food, the fiber and the fuel that we need and also protect our natural resources? So how do you then affect policy? Do you publish paper, research papers and then do a, do, a, do a white paper based on that? Or are you, uh, you're part of, you're, we agreed at the beginning, you're a concerned scientist. And we so, did agree. <laughs> and so what, how, what are you doing when you are most potent in affecting change in our, in our lives and in our culture? Yeah, I mean, I think that there there's two pieces to that, and one is, of course, continuing to to uh, uh, do research, to develop new ideas, to um, make sure that we're finding the best ways of of moving forward in all of these areas. But another is really just to be uh, staying tuned to all of the great research coming out from scientists who are all across our nation's universities and institutions and raising the profile of their research, right? Because we really, we've seen that these practices are working. Uh, We know that they work. We know that people don't know that much about them. And part of this is because we're not hearing about it. And part of it is because we need more of it. So that's just another thing that, that we're doing is we're trying to increase the amount of funding that's that's going into this kind of agricultural research because we know that when we invest in research in agriculture, it pays off and we want it to pay off in these really uh, sustainable forms of agriculture that we are desperately in need of right now. So you need you need a scientifically literate public so they even know how to listen to you. And we need to be better at communicating to the public in a way that, that they can really hear our message. So that, that a lo- some of that is uh, the responsibility of scientists as well to improve our communication skills, to get out there with our message. And, so it's and all to, your fault, yeah. <laughs> You're a scientist too, Neil. <laughs> well, Marcia, th- thanks, for, th- thanks for being on StarTalk and, and teaching me that you even exist as a, as a profession and as a person in that profession. And we'll surely want to come back to you for future 
Star Talk topics because now that we know you exist, we're going to be calling you like your mother. You know, <laughs> could you come over? I love it. I love okay. it. Please keep making the phone calls. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Okay, excellent. I, I want to thank. Uh, Eugene, thanks for doing another Star Talk here. Great. And uh, Leilani Munter for being uh, the first ever uh, race car driver I've enter ever interviewed. And it turns out she's vegan green. I don't, yeah. I, 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 to get her message out, it makes so much sense. <laughs> it's like when people get mad at Al Gore for traveling in an airplane, it seems <laughs> foolish. But now I'm like ruined for life. How am I yeah. going to go to any other race car events? Race car driver. Now that you know you could do it green. <laughs> So uh, let me just say, I think uh, she's right. I, I think she's right. We, we got to tackle this on many frontiers. And I think at the center of it all is science and human behavior. And that's kind of what Star Talk is always about. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.